y'all, it's time for Rolling Dice and Taking Names. In this episode, the guys give full reviews for Robotech Reconstruction and Marvel Age of Heroes. Plus, quick hits on Goblin's Vault, Galileo, and Motor City. And for taste buds, Mountain Dew has a new flavor, Pitch Black. No funny bits, because this looks like serious content, y'all. Hello and welcome to episode number 280, Bohemian Rhapsody. I'm Galileo. I'm Tony, not Galileo. 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 Magnifico. Beelzebub. <laughs> Did some devil with a sidekick. Not me. Yeah, so. Not me. Yeah, we're going to be talking about Galileo and I, I'm sure. That's Marty. Nobody's. Now, here, here's the thing is, when we met with Danny and. I shut board games. At Gen Con. And she told us Galileo. We immediately started singing, and she said we were the first people to do that. And now all of a sudden, everybody's doing it. So I just want to know. I just want everybody to know. We were one. We were the OG Galileo singing people. Well, we made Danny laugh. That was the whole thing. Well, first off, she didn't recognize the Galileo from the song Bohemian Rhapsody because we've had more exposure to it. Nope, she didn't. I mean, she's that was way before her time. But I think she knew that. Oh, yeah. Well, song. I mean, it, it what? Thanks to Wayne's World, it vaulted to, yep. was it, I think it may have vaulted number one. I don't remember exactly where it vaulted to, but it went from the obscurity that it had, and then all of a sudden, boom, it's back, and it was just climbing. And then again, you got a couple years later when they did Bohemian Rhapsody, the, the movie, their music lives on. You and I have always appreciated it, even when it was, I mean, it came out, what, in, some of the stuff came out in the 70s? Mid seventy, I think Bohemian Rhapsody. I think it was what Night at the Opera, somewhere in the mid seventies. Yeah, Night at the Opera, and then the first Queen album I bought was News of the World. I think that was the name of it. With the oh yeah yeah, uh, that was uh, was that another one? Bites of Dust. Uh, was that no, uh, We Are Champions? We Are the Champions. Yeah, that's what was on there. Yeah, I yeah. just remember it looked. I uh, I liked Queen, and the robot looked really cool. Yep. Yeah, it was a robot holding the members mm -hmm. of the band or something like that in his hands. Yeah. Yeah. And Bohemian was, you know, that white cover where that had all the um, funky royal stuff. And I remember my uncle had Fat Bottom Girls. Mm. Uh, did you ever see the uh, album sleeve cover for that album? I, if I did, I don't remember it. If you saw it, you would remember it. Okay, then I didn't see it. <laughs> were there any Fat Bottom Girls on it? <laughs> yes, they're riding bicycles. Bicycles. Bicycles, yep. Bicycles. Oh, such good songs. I tell you what. <laughs> so I have been gone for a couple of weeks and finally got to mm -hmm. do a little gaming recently over at your house. Very excited about that. But in light of everything, I appreciate the weather cooperating for game night because you, my good friend, unfortunately lost another HVAC unit. Maybe. Do we have to bring it up? Oh, well, I want you to, it, it reduces the shock when the bill comes. It, you know how if you constantly repeat stuff, it, it kind of deadens you. Yeah. So earlier this year, we said we're going to be proactive and replace one of our HVAC units. Smart man. Been, been around for 18 years. Oh my gosh. So we, uh, we replace it. And I'm sitting there talking to my HVAC guy. Everybody should have, you know, an HVAC guy. Mm -hmm. And I said, you watch that other unit right over there. Something's going to happen. Three days later, the outside comp uh, compressor or the fan wouldn't come on. Have them come out. Yep, your compressor's gone. It's unbelievable. I, I replaced the wrong one. I was 50-50 on which one to replace. <laughs> and I picked the, picked the wrong one. The other one ended up breaking. 
So luckily he had the compressor from my old unit still around. Oh, nice. So he just took it and stuck it into that one. Nice. Awesome. So for game day, I go down on uh, sun, uh, Saturday morning and say, okay, let's turn on the heat. It's taking a long time to heat up. Walk outside. That unit outside is not running. And so that's our third unit that went out. And I just hope and pray that it's a capacitor right. and not the stupid compressor. Right. The inside part's running. The air handler unit's running, but it's the part that it's the unit outside that's not. Please do not be the compressor. Do not be the compressor. Or uh, it's just going to have to stay chilly down there and warm in the summer. Well, it is the basement. And yeah. with that, I mean, the basement, you really don't need to really run the AC because uh, it stays Correct. probably about a, a mid-60s down there. And I, I was, I know you had the heat on to keep us from being popsicles down there, and I appreciate that, but you really didn't need to. We are we're all layered and appreciate you <laughs> taking care of us with the emergency strip heat that kicks in. But we didn't need that. We didn't need it. Yeah, without it running for several days, it stays at 60 degrees down there. Mm -hmm. So it's not bad. I mean, and they make mittens now where they're touch sensitive for your phones and stuff. Mittens, gloves, and we could have worn those. I mean. Yeah, but it's been hard to pick up the pieces on the board, especially for Robotech reconstruction. Those were tiny little pieces. (laughs) Oh, when we get to that game, we're going to be talking about some stuff from that standpoint. Yeah. So, but. Other than that, so one of the things about my, my trips was I'm, I was going to Arizona, and I was very excited. I haven't been to Arizona in a long time, and I was hoping mm-hmm. – I was really hoping to get up with um, Dan King. Yeah. And unfortunately, he lives up near Phoenix, and I was down in Tucson, and I didn't have a car, and he was busy. So maybe if we go out and have another meeting out there, I'll get to see him. But I, I did not realize how cold it gets there. I didn't, I didn't realize that either. For some reason, I thought it would be warmer. I don't know why I thought that. Because it's near a desert. But you think about a desert, radiation, radiated heat just quickly leaves. And we were waking up, and I was thinking it was in the mid-30s, and then it would heat up to the 70s, and then cool right back down. And everybody that was there, I mean, we had some Midwesterners there, and they were like, this ain't cold. Whoa, that's colder than I expected. So it, it was a dry cold. I'll give it that. <laughs> that's... That was a good one. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. So what did I miss on regular game night? Because I didn't see any videos. You didn't release any videos. I did not. I was not, I was not making any uh, uh, videos uh, at that at that point. I, I will say this. We got a card game from Thunderworks Games from our good friend, Tim. Mm-hmm. Tim. Over there. This is a game that I need to play with you because you like your card games. Love them. And this is a kind of a straight card game it's called goblin's vault plays one to five players uh, the designers are keith Majeka and eric schlotman that's good and so these uh the and the cards are kind of basic they have uh suits which are just kind of like generic symbols like swords or shields it's not the typical spades clubs etc it's a goblin vault it's kind of fantasy theme sort of deal and then values on the cards i think going uh, up to 10 mm-hmm and uh, depending on the number of players det- determines how many number of suits that you're going to play with. And you shuffle the cards and, and you start playing. It's at its core a tableau builder. What you're trying to do is each round you're acquiring cards to put down on your tableau. And the tableau is a four by three tableau. So it's played over nine rounds. And over the course of the game, you're going to try to be out, try to fill out your vault the best you can in order to score points. But what you'll like, Tony, is this. So in the middle of the, the table is a market. Uh, you're going to t- uh, flip over some cards from the top of the deck based on the number of players, and you're going to be dealt a hand of these cards, and you're going to use the cards from your hand to bid 
on which card you want to get to add to your tableau. Okay. During a round, you'll take one of your cards, put it underneath the card that you're interested in. After everybody's placed a card, whoever has the highest value card uh, beneath the card that you're going for, they actually get that card. And the card that you played now goes into the market. Mm -hmm. That's the card that will be bid on next time. But what's cool is, is you have a chance to what's called underbid. Let's say you put a card down that's like a 10 of, of some sort of suit. And... I'm going to underbid and put a card that's underneath yours. And you would go, well, Marty, why would you do that? Because if you don't win the bid, the card that you played goes into your vault. Okay. So you may want that card. You, you may want that. Yeah. You got it. Exactly. So what you want to do is put that card into a situation where you know that you'll lose. Mm. But if you do that, you have to give up something. The whole goal of the game is to collect gears. Gears are your victory points. They're these little tokens. And when you underbid, you have to put a gear on the winning bid card so that if that card actually goes to the top to be bid on next round, it's kind of seated with some extra victory points sitting on top of it. Okay. Well, like passing pass a card or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha, exactly. Gotcha. And then uh, you have a trump. At the you have a card that's flipped over that plays as a trump. So when you're determining who wins a bid, if you have a trump card, you'll take it over everybody else, and the highest trump would win if it's multiple trump. Typical trick taking thing, right? Okay. So what's the whole goal of the tableau building? Is you're trying to number one complete some common goals at the beginning of the game. I'll say, hey, if you can get a column of sequential numbers, you'll earn some extra points. Hey, if you can get a column with these certain factions or certain suits, you'll get some extra points. So there's like some in-game scoring that you're shooting for, but also on every card, it has a tier value from one to three. And when you lay your cards down, you lay one on top of each other where the, the card at the top of the column is tier one. The card laying on top of that is tier two and the other one's in tier three. If you can get cards into their the tier that they need to be in, you'll score extra points at the end. Every tier one card in a tier one spot will score a point. Every tier three card in a tier three spot will, sc will score three points. So you're trying to build out your tableau to get the cards into the right order, plus be able to try to meet some in-game scoring goals. Okay. And that's really the whole basis of the game. But both Mark, myself, and Bert really loved it. I mean, it was a really quick bidding game, trick-taking game, and tableau build are all built into one. Okay. And, and all those come together now is basic card gameplay. And, you know, we always talk about this when we talk about cars. Was there like short suiting and things like that that will help you out? No, not not really. Okay. Not really. Now, there there is one thing. If you happen to play the a card with the suit that matched the trump, you get to take a warden action. That card, instead of the trump card, is called the warden card. And what that allows you to do is shift a card in your vault. So let's say you've played a card. It's like, ooh, this card will now work better over here. It gives you a chance to move that card to another location. Mm -hmm. So typically your cards are stuck where they are, unless you could take a warden action to maybe shift a card. Or it allows you to discard one of your cards and draw a new one. Maybe there's a card just does you no good. So hopefully you can draw one that works well, works a little bit better for you. Okay. All right, well, maybe we'll get to play it. Maybe on our next game night, I'll get to see it. Actually, Mark said, Marty, leave this game uh, in, in your bag. This is one of those, when it's at 8 o'clock at night, we have like 15, 20 minutes left. 
you pull this game out and play it. It's like Scout. You know, we have Scout in the bag to play. Mm -hmm. This is kind of the same sort of thing where you just get it out and play a quick game. We this. also have the Great Split in the bag. That, that's a little bit longer to set up and play. It is. Than what this game would be. Okay. Yeah. And then um, what was the other one that we were wanting you to leave in the bag? It was here. It was on the tip of the frontal brains. <laughs> he said, yeah. You wanted to say tongue, but you're pointing at your head. No, so I'm, then you right were here. stuck. It's right there you? on the memory, right? Right there at the very front. And oh man, there was a game we played recently. And we were like, you need to leave that in the bag. And I cannot for the life of me. Shouldn't have said the great split because now it's gone. It may come back to me. It may not. It doesn't really matter. Yep. So that's Goblin's Vault from Thunderworks Games. If you like, like I said, it's a mishmash of several different things. Trick taking, bidding, mm -hmm. and tableau building. It's it's clever. It's I really like it. It's clever. It's it's and it's a small box. It's a small box game too, so you can easily carry it around with you. It's in the same universe as role player. Oh oh, I like role player now. Yeah, probably a lot easier to um, set up than, of course, a role player and all that good mm -hmm. stuff. But I enjoy. I need to get role player back out. That's a. I love that game. Yeah, you need to teach me role player again because it's been years. It's been years with the expansion. Because yes. Yeah, I haven't played. Yeah, I played it once here. Years ago. Now, have you ever played Mahjong, not the tile matching, but the actual tile playing? No, I have not. Okay. So that's one of the games I got to play and everybody's like, Mahjong, what are you? So basically it is nothing more than rummy. Okay. okay. With, with tiles and the people we were playing with, they have an uh, uh, official set because they're from Taiwan. And so I had a cheat sheet in front of me all the time. Because I, I couldn't match up the numbers because guess what? They were in Chinese. So it was mm -hmm. kind of hard. So I'm sitting there trying to match up the little symbols and all these things and the pictures and the characters. Now, Rummy, very simple game. Draw, try to get runs and sets. And there are certain rules in Mahjong. But this time we played with chips, poker chips. And this is where this game is stressful. And I, and I didn't realize this. I was, he told me, and so this is not my $5 and, and this gentleman does not contribute $5. He told me that people will lose their houses playing these. Did you ever see the movie crazy rich Asians? I did not. This is going nowhere. There is no interaction that we can build here. Everything I throw <laughs> out. <laughs> you're just, not. okay. So, so you know how I feel when I throw out a band or song or TV show or movie. So that's how it feels. Yeah, but come on, Crazy Rich Asian was a very popular movie. Tony, how many very popular things have I mentioned to you that you've never seen? No, you haven't yours seen are one niches. Netflix show. Stranger, Th Stranger Things is niche. I've watched a few episodes. <laughs> I've watched a few episodes of Squid Game now, thank you very much. And Oh, and I get to go back up to my daughters in mid-February, so, uh, and I'll be able to finish out... The Walking Dead. I'm going to binge that. To Why death. don't you just bar her Netflix login? Because it's not hers. It's her, her, her fiance's and he doesn't know the password. Nobody in the family knows it. And therefore, you, you know, there's a way to reset the password. But if right? they do that, then they're scared that they're all going to get blocked out because of the network sharing, the Netflix sharing thing. Or, you know what you just could do? You cheap butt. You could just open up your wallet. <laughs> and pay 10 bucks a month you, you're cruising all over the world multiple times a year but holy cow you won't reach into your wallet and pull out a tenner and pay to netflix so you can watch some tv shows well i was thinking about it i have not used my xbox pc game pass since i've gotten it and that that equates to it so i could just cancel that just cancel that and switch it over and to switch netflix it over. there you I go know. back to mejong so <laughs> the point was get this the point is that got a crowbar going into his wallet? 
is the fact that, so we're playing with chips and I got 6,000 air quotes dollars. Okay. Worth of chips. If I had been playing for realsies, I would have lost $1,500. That's not good. That's not good. So, cause the base is 200. So if you play the tile that lets somebody go out, you owe them. Okay. And I kept playing the wrong tile for some odd reason. And I could never, I, I never won once that night. I would have been at the ATM, but it is, it's a rummy. And I'm not a big fan of the card game rummy so much. Cause, okay. Cause yeah. Cause it's pure luck to me. Rummy is pure luck. Okay. You know, runs and sets and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I guess with Mejong, if we had just been playing straight without any money involved, I would have been bored out of my mind. Mm. But, but that, but that tension of that money takes a lot into it. So I need, right. I need to get me a good Mejong set because Donna loves it, but she likes this type of simple things. Is Mejong on the uh, Nintendo board game um, app? Uh, it, I can't remember the name of it. It's the, t- it's the, uh, it's a collection of like 40 yeah. to 50 different board games. Is it on there? It might be, but that would be the simple one where you're trying to uncover tiles. You're matching two tiles. It might be the mm-hmm. Mejong uh, game itself. I'll have to look it up and see. I'll do okay. that while, while you tell me about something else I unfortunately missed while I was busy in either DC. Yeah, so we saw this at uh, Gen Con. Uh, we were singing early Gal- Galileo. This is from uh, designer... Adrian Hessling, and probably my favorite board game publishing name of all time. Sorry, we're French. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I think that is just such a funny name. It's so tongue in cheek. Anyway, Sorry, We Are French published a game called Galileo Project. This game plays two to four players. The thing that, uh, Tony, that you and I thought that was really cool about this is on the main board, uh, everybody, each player has a resource token that's going to be a track from uh, zero to 10. But there's two tracks. There's a blue and there's a red one. And above the board are uh, people that you can hire or use one-time effects. Below the board are robots that you can put in play and apply to moons. The whole thing is you're trying to populate the moons of Jupiter. And so you can purchase robots and assign them to different moons. So hold on, hold on, hold on. Whenever you hear the word robots, does your brain kick in and say in disguise? It does not. I'm not right in the head. (laughs) <laughs> anytime people someone says robots my brain immediately goes in disguise I'm, i don't know why i know i understand that it has before it didn't as i was talking about this. maybe that's it i'm since i'm listening and i'm i'm paying somewhat attention yeah when you said robots <laughs> I, my brain squirreled over there for a second so i'm sorry continue moons robots go yes on. all right i think i had it flip below the boards the people that you hire above the board are the robots so on your turn, you have the option of paying one super nice, nice, nice plastic poker chips in this game, Tony. Love it. Love games with poker chips. You can pay a chip to move your resource tracker token from the red to the blue or the blue to the red. You can swap. Why would you want to do that? Because next, you must buy something. You either must buy a robot or a person. Now, if you go after a, a person it's actually going to increase your resources. That's how you get additional resources. But the individual has two abilities, one at the top of the card and one at the bottom. The top is an instant. You do it and then it goes away. Mm. The one on the bottom is an ongoing ability that you slide under your player board. But the top and bottom will be either red or blue. 
So what happens is, is if I buy a card that's red at the top for an instant ability, my coin, if on the red track, moves up that amount on the red track. That's how you replenish resources. If I do the bottom ability, that's like it slides underneath, it's an ongoing thing and it's blue, and my coin is on the blue track, mm -hmm. then it moves up the blue track, but it has to be on that track for okay. whichever one I want to activate, okay? okay? That's why at the beginning of the turn, you can pay a coin to flip it between the two if you want. The robots, you actually spend those resources to put them into play. The robots' resources will either cost blue resources or red resources, so you've got to make sure you're on the right track so you can spend to get the robot. So robots, you spend... The people you get. Okay. And then what you're trying to do is you're trying to get these robots into play around these moons. And when you put them around the moons, you have these really nice player boards with like circular tracks. There's four different moons. And as you put robots on them, they have strengths. Okay. And your little tracker moves around the track of that particular moon. And each moon does something special. One is just X amount of victory points at the end of the game. Woo how do we win? Another one is... Uh, you start out with only being able to put a, two uh, workers down beneath your uh, player board. One moon allows you to put additional ones at the bottom. And also, as you move around the track, you can also activate the other ability that's on that player. Uh, there's one that gives you energy. Energy is a very scarce resource. And you spend energy to buy these uh, technology tiles if you can afford them, which will give you bonus victory points at the end of the game. There's one other moons that makes it cheaper to buy robots. So the more it goes up, mm -hmm. it makes the, the purchase of robots a little bit cheaper. So then you want to focus on where do you put your robots? Are you trying to score in-game victory points? Are you trying to make robots cheaper? Are you trying to put some more people below the board? So that's kind of the gamey part of the game. It's all these decisions that you have to make on your turn of all these cards that are in front of you you got to make sure every once in a while to have the resources that you need. Make sure that your coin's on the right track so that you can spend the right color resources to get the robots mm. you want into place. And at the end of the game, you'll add up some additional victory points on how well, on some uh, in-game victory points conditions, the person most points wins. The clever thing is the whole resource management me mechanic between a blue and red resource. Okay. That's what's cool. That's what's cool. All right. So in, in this game, would you find a lot of planning ahead, figuring out where you got to. You try, but obviously somebody before you could buy a card that you wanted. Mm -hmm. Okay. And it's the same sort of deal too. Uh, we've seen in a lot of games. When a robot first comes out, they're a little more expensive, but as they're bought, they shift down to one end and they get cheaper. Okay. The, uh, the people at the bottom are a little bit different. When they first come out, and if you were to go and draft them, you don't get as many resources back for that one that's on the right-hand side, but as they slide to the left, that reduction goes away to you'll get their full bonus. Okay. So little mechanisms like that are really, really super clever. But the whole thing is to get in the right robots around the moon to advance your marker around each of the moons to unlock additional abilities, get some additional resource, make things cheaper, earn some energy to buy an in-game score condition, et cetera. So in your opinion, is this more light or medium? It's definitely not heavy. It's, it's not. No, it's not heavy. Light. Light. It's mm -hmm. light. But but that's that's not a bad. No, thing. it's I not. Like, it's the, the the rules are light, but you can create some interesting combos because as you play the game, there are ways you could possibly move one satellite or robot from from one moon to another, mm -hmm. which would allow which would adjust the value of the moon on that one that you went to. It'll reduce it on the one that you left. 
There are ways that you can make the strengths of the robot higher on the individual robots at the moon so that you get, and, and then you just continue removing the strength of the robot, uh, the robots at that moon around the dial on the, uh, the moon. So you don't have to necessarily buy a new robot for it. There are ways to increase the strength with these little tokens that you put on top of your existing robots and make them more powerful. Okay. Am I going to get to see this? Yes. It's a very pretty game. Pretty. <laughs> pretty. Oh, I said that. It's a nice looking game. <laughs> well, it can <laughs> be really pretty. Nice. There's nothing it, wrong with it's it. It's really not. Yeah, but I mean, I, I don't know what's what's pretty. It's a it's an it's a, it's the art's really uh, nice. It's got a, like a, a sci-fi, a fun sci-fi type look. You got the nice chips, which I just love chips. So, an, another one, yes, needs to stay in the bag because you need to try it. I don't. I'm curious if Donna would like this. This is an easy one for me. Does it have tiles? No. No. Does it have dice? No. Okay. So then the answer is no. The answer is we don't know until we try it, but it's doubtful. It. She she has okay. gravitated. I think I've finally learned after 10 years in doing this and teaching, and it's the same way with you and Vanessa. You know when the glass, the eyes glass over as we're explaining rules? Right. What, which kind of what just happened as I was talking to you about this no, game. No, I was paying attention. I asked you poignant <laughs> questions <laughs> yeah. about the game. I'm kidding, y'all. He was. I was just trying to make a follow-up. I know he was. Yes, he, he did, and he scored on it. That's fine. But it's <laughs> but but the, when I'm explaining rules, which is a game I'm going to talk about next, you know, I, it was, if I don't get it done in f- under five minutes, I know mm-hmm. I'm toast, okay? Ah, uh, okay. So I've, I'm shifting my strategy about teaching now where when we're learning a game, I'm putting the instruction book in front of her because this way she can follow along as I'm teaching. Mm-hmm. That's why I borrowed a uh, uh, ne'er do well from you because I, I can't. What is it? Nedevalier. Nedevalier. Thank you. Ne'er do well. Where did that come from? I, I don't. There was some movie I think ne'er do well. I can't remember. Anyway, so just so you'll know, the section of the rule book that teaches you how to play the game is from pages four to ten. So okay. it's not a lot. It's not bad. There's a lot of pictures. Nope. It's not bad at all. I've been trying to get through the Skyrim game and oh that's a long one that's just that's a big one huh so it's not bad i mean the pages are big and the print's easy it's just i need to sit down that's going to be a solo game for me Mm. of my three kickstarters from last year i did receive one just recently Mm -hmm. and don and i sat down and played it because i know for a fact i know you would play it but i know in our yes i would in a heartbeat Mm -hmm. just because of who it's by yes but i know that mark will never play it but that's correct that's okay and that is Motor City. It is a hill pinchback riddle rolling right. I saw your Twitter thing about you've got a problem on coin games where you posted yeah. that video. So I was going through all my games. I'm telling you, if it's a pinchback riddle, it's in my collection. Nice. I, just something about it. I mean, Stellar is always one of my favorite two-player games. Mm-hmm. But Motor City, don't want to belabor it. Guess what? You're rolling some dice. You're marking off some combos on a... Uh, you're building a car, so that's the theme, mm-hmm. okay? You're, you're yep. engineering, you're manufacturing, you're buying stuff. And I looked at her and I said, so compared to Fleet, Three Sisters, and Motor City, which, are, which is your favorite? And she goes, I like this a whole lot more. Oh, wow. I know. And I was like, as we were going through it and trying to understand you know, how the combos work, she was like, I like some of the harder decisions you had to make in this role and right. And I was like, oh, okay, like what? She goes, well, you're limited on how many of the engineers you can get. You're limited 
on how many of the test tracks you can actually try to use. Some of the bonuses, you've really got to plan out and strategize on how you're going to take this uh, action to let you eventually get to that. So you've got to plan out and hope that when the dice are rolled, that you're able to do that. And in typical fashion, when you roll the dice, they're going to go on a blueprint board. And based on their mm -hmm. color, they line up under uh, various columns. And so what happens is when you take that dice, there may be a bonus under that dice and you get to do that action, like do a research, which is just color a box. Simple. Yeah. Right? Then where that dice was, you look up at the column and you do that action. Oh, let's say that's engineering. I color in a circle under the engineering section. Then you take that dice and you put it in one of the four sections of either uh, cells, engineering, re uh, not research, test track, and, and you put that dice there and you get to take that action. Okay. So there's three things you're doing with the dice and you have to plan them out. You may also do alternate things if you are blocked and that can happen. So I can't wait for us to give it a try and I'm very happy that I backed it. I, well, it was a, it was a hill pinchback riddle. So I'm less like, I got to have them all. And the box is shaped like a model car. I, lo right? I love that. That was awesome, dude, that you made that comment. Go yeah. ahead. Tell, tell, what, what, what did it make you think of? Oh, no. I mean, immediately when you see the box cover and the yeah. shape of the box, it takes me back to building model cars because it is, I'm sure it's not as thick, right? No, it's not the big thick one, right? Yeah. But, but, the, but the length and width of the box itself is the exact same, about the same size as a model car. Right. Yeah. So, Ravel, you're right. Uh, testers glue. Here it comes. Yeah. If they could have put in a small tube of testers, that would have been hilarious. <laughs> that would have been perfect. I know. Yeah. Now, I will say one thing. A lot of rolling rights, and um, one I haven't gotten to play, Destiny Sun from Yellow, there were no pencils involved in, in there. So mm, they didn't put, okay. Everybody has pencils, pens laying around. No, I actually have a, have a hard time finding them. You do? Yes, I do. I can't. I remember last week I was searching all over the house for a pen and couldn't find it. I need to hook you up. I got a ton of them. I need to bring you some extra ones. And and pencils, I ain't gotten a pencil anywhere. Really? I got a whole band from when I did the um, engineer's week at Duke, mm -hmm. and we were giving them out, and we were cleaning out some stuff, and then I got a whole bundle of pencils. So that, nice. Motor City, I, maybe we can play it at game night coming, and then yeah. uh, you can just give your opinions as a quick uh, thought through. But I, w I just want to say, one thing about their Kickstarter they provided great updates. Ben and Matt, they do a great job. This is where it is. This is where the boats are. Hey, we just want, by the way, there was a problem in production. This is why they're late. I mean, I was getting constant feeds. I've got two um, Kickstarters from other publishers. I haven't heard from them in months. And uh, this is from their company, Motor City Publishing? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Got it. Yeah. Which did also three sisters. So yeah, very, very fun game. I want to say something real quick about an event that's coming up in uh, Knoxville that I've been to the past couple of years. And that's fun. K town 2023. Mm -hmm. uh, it's called Knoxville's grooviest board game weekend because the logos are really cool. It's like sixties and early seventies type logos and stuff. But anyway, it is uh, going to be at the Knoxville convention center. That's where it was last year from Friday, April 28th to April 30th. It is a really well-run event. The convention center is super nice. It's right in downtown Knoxville. There's tons of stuff to do. You're right beside the big World's Fair mm. globe. You know, that was that was there. That's right beside the convention center. Uh, you're just a couple blocks away from a, the really nice section of downtown Knoxville with tons of restaurants and things to do. And there's a lot of food and bars and stuff around. It is in a great location. Fantastic event. 
Uh, I hope to be going this year. We've got some other trips going on around that time. So Vinny and Vanessa made to see if we can go. Maybe you can go, Tony. It's, uh, I can tell you right now, it's too close to the wedding. Okay, so he will not be going mm-hmm. to Fun K-Town on April 28th through April 30th. Tickets are available right now. Go to our show notes, and we'll have a link in there to the Eventbrite page so that you can check it out and get more info. It's right now, he said like he's like it has 100 people, so that's about the scope of it. That's the size. It's not huge. A lot of people play games. There's play to game, uh, play to win games. Bezier Games is in Knoxville. They're there. You can meet Ted Allspot, mm-hmm. play his stuff. Sometimes he'll bring games that he's in the process of play testing or getting ready to put on Kickstarter. So you get early looks at their stuff, which is really cool too. So 2024, I'll pencil it in if I can find a pencil. There you go. So yeah, I know you always talked about it. That's very interesting. What about the Southern Fraud Gaming Expo? Have you heard anything on that one yet? Probably. <clears throat> that is the end of July. Okay. There you go. I think it's, the, here's the bad part. I think it's the weekend before Gen Con. Ooh. I talked to the organizer and said, do you realize what you've done? They went, yes. And that was the only weekend they could get. So if you got to pick between the one, what do you? I don't, I wouldn't have to pick. It's the weekend before, not the weekend. Oh, you go to both. Right. Yeah. Well, of course you would. Because you're the you're Southern the- Fry Gaming Expo is a must attend. Y'all, if you haven't been and you like video games, especially classic coin op games or pinball machines, you got to go to this. You will not be disappointed. And it's in Atlanta, so you want to be inside during the last week in July. That's true. But it's a nice place in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. It's right beside the ballpark, uh, which they built out. Is it called the Battery? I'm trying to think of the area right outside the ballpark. Tons of restaurants and stuff. It's a really nice area of Atlanta. While I was in Arizona, one thing I wanted to talk to you about. So the, for some odd reason, somebody was telling me, you need to try this. I said, I already have. It's, it's amazing. But it was the, the place I went was called Street Tacos. And it's, okay. it's a chain out there. So, But I, I was hungry. I got in on my flight. I've been flying. I forget how long because I had to do a connection in Dallas. And you know when I fly into Dallas, I think about BGG Con, our, our first time there. Yes. Yeah. You got off the plane, you walked across the parking deck and I was at the hotel. I was like, Oh, this is interesting. Not there anymore, but yeah. yeah. So they said, you got to try this. And I said, what's so special about this hot dog? Some of them will wrap it in bacon. Okay. Sounds good. Sounds good. This place had infused it with the bacon. So it wasn't a pure, what they call this Arizona hot dog thing. Mm -hmm. And then they take it and they toast up a big old bun and then they Mm -hmm. slather it with pinto beans and cheese, and so it's not chili, it's pinto beans. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, a hot slaw, a spicy slaw, okay. and a jalapeno sauce. I'm intrigued. That sounds good to me. Yeah. Oh, it was very good. I was like, oh, man. How does it not fall out all over the place with all that stuff? Because the bun is big. The hot dog's lost down in the bun. So it's basically, it's a meal in a bun. Ah, oh, that sounds good. It's like a runza. Pinto's on it. I, that's interesting. I love pinto beans. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, but I'm just interesting. Somebody thought to do that. But it tickled my taste buds. Just a bunch of, they're just a bunch of.
All right, Tony, you, you brought me a new Mountain Dew drink. I most certainly did. It's I, I can hardly see the can. It's pitch black. <laughs> God, that's bad. Wow. Y'all, that that's that's right off the cuff. That's not written down anywhere. Uh, I know you people think that we we write down all this stuff. Uh, nobody. Those jokes are coming right off the uh, the tip of the the mind. You said earlier, tip of the mind. So interesting design on this. I've got a. It looks like this little. You know, nobody commented on our moon pie f- uh, faux pas last time. Not not one. Not one. Does anybody even listen? Is this on? <laughs> Hello. Is this on? Ten years going by fast. Let me tell you. Yeah, really. The end is around. So, what is this? What what's what's the sound on the key? It's a blast of dark citrus punch flavor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love the flavor. <laughs> it's not real punch. It's flavor. It's flavor. And we and we're in the cosmos. So we got uh, what was his name? Galactus. I'm I'm looking for the Silver Surfer. Yeah, yeah. It does kind of look like that. Yeah. Yep. Purple. Nice. Nice purple against black. That's always a nice logo when you do that mix. Uh-huh. So zero sugar, so you can drink it all tonight. All right. I'm excited about this. Are we ready? I did not know about it. I told Vanessa about this. She said, I've not heard of that one. Okay. It smells good. Smell almost fruit quakey. It smells almost like a... Remember how fruit quake smelled? Yeah. Or Baja Blast a little bit. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's give it a swig. Right, here we go. Ooh. Ooh. That's tart. That's got a berry to it, don't it? Mm. That's a lot of berry. Um, I like it. Like it. Yeah, it's fine. I think I like fruit quake. Quite was it? What was the fruit punch one? It's fruit quake. The fruit cake punch one. Yeah. I like that one better than this one. Mm-hmm. This is interesting. And then I'll have to let Donna try it out and see if she likes it compared to um, oh, what's her favorite? The the one that came out, the raspberry lemonade one. I can't even think of the name of it right now. Spark. She loves Spark, mm. and it's getting hard to find now. No, I mean, this is good. I don't know how they make this zero sugar because this this is pretty sweet. It's called aspartame. Is it? I thought they got away from that stuff. I don't know. I don't know. This is good, though. Yeah, this is good. Is it easily easy to find? Yeah, it's in, it's in all the grocery stores. I wonder if this could be one of the standard ones now, or this is a, a limited thing. I don't know, but you know, Pepsi came out with a new thing. It's not Squirt, or maybe it's Squirt. They came out with something that's lemon-lime. Oh, Yes, uh, that it replaces. Is it replaces squirt? I don't know what it is. Oh my gosh, it replaces something. Hold on, Vanessa. What's that lemon lime drink that replaced something else that we looked up the other day? <laughs> if that's not cryptic, I don't know what is. <laughs> What's it called? Starry St. Mm. Sierra Mist has been replaced by Starry. Okay, I was wondering what they did. I, yeah. I guess it, Sprite was killing it, so they needed to get rid of, shorten it up, and go with Starry. I, I haven't tried it yet. I'm waiting to see if it shows up in a bottle somewhere or on a um, a fountain drink dispenser. Mm-hmm. And I'll give it a try and see how it is. But I don't even remember Sierra Mist, to be honest with you. Oh, I do. It was their version of Sprite. Right. I mean, lemon lime. Yeah. Yeah. I'm. I'm. Not, I don't drink a lot of Sprite. I know it's good for your upset tummy, but I haven't had an upset tummy in forever. Sprite and some saltines. Mm, okay, that'll settle your tummy down. The, I, you're, that's what my mom always gave me. Marty, here, have some Sprite, some saltines, and put a rag on your head. <laughs> a what rag on your head solved everything. You have you, you upset tummy, rag on your head. You just threw up, rag on your head. You got diarrhea, rag on your head. I don't know. Rag on the head <laughs> solves everything. Okay, I just had to rub dirt on it. 
<laughs> that's, that's what I had to do. <laughs> Did you hurt yourself? Go rub some dirt on it, boy. All right, Dad. Whatever you say. That's got some. Oh, you cut yourself pretty good. Go put some dirt on it. That'll help clot it up. Thanks, Dad. Appreciate the help, man. Way to be. That's why I don't have peanut allergies because we ate a lot of dirt and stuff like that. That. <laughs> kids nowadays just don't do anymore <laughs> oh well we've been talking about a lot of games here so i tell you what let's let's get into some heavier reviews nothing like john company please no no <laughs> no it will not be that <laughs> so are you ready for some serious reviews what we've been doing hadn't been serious oh, they have been i'm just trying to figure out what's the transition here i guess that was it portalgames.com for all your portal games desires wishes wrath of the lighthouse oh there you go a solo driven campaign basilica pre-orders for 11 kickstarters are going out now saw on the um twitter that ignacio was talking about 51st state deluxe edition getting ready to get that out there don't forget about gutenberg don't forget about their website exclusives if you get $75, that's free shipping over at shopportalgames.com. All right, so Tony, out of the blue, several weeks ago, I got a DM from a Twitter account named Dr. Wits. And uh, they said, uh, hey, just saw that you have been enjoying some coin games. Mm-hmm. And I have a game that I designed that's uh, published by... Strange Machine Games that's coin inspired. I want to see if you wanted to check it out. And I went, well, sure, tell me a little bit about it. And he said, he said, what did you ever watch Robotech back in the 80s? Did you ever watch that cartoon, Tony? No, I didn't. I miss Robotech. I, I missed a lot of the robot ones other than Ultron and um Star Okay. So Ultron? Was it Ultron, which was the, not a cartoon? I know that. I saw Ultron, Star Blazers, Ultraman. Ultraman, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Ultraman, Star Blazers, and uh, the Lions. Watch Battle of the Planets. I uh, know I did the one with the lions. Thundercats? No, not Thundercats. It's the ones where the robots were the lions. <laughs> there was blue. There was a Thundercat. I know there was Thundercats, and he looked through this sword with his eyes. Yeah, or that's something. true. Yeah, but anyway, now now I can't remember what that one was. Voltron. 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 Okay. Yeah. Okay. But you know that style of animation. Yeah. And a lot of those were basically Japanese animations or cartoons that were brought over to the mm-hmm. U.S. Star Blazers, Battle of Plants. Well, so was Robotech during that time. Now, I didn't watch this either. So he told me, he said, well, this is based in the Robotech universe. I said, well, I, I don't know much about it. He said, well, you, you really don't. So I said, well, sure. I mean, I, I, I've been enjoying the coin style game. So I said, yeah, send it on. So the name of the game is called Robotech Construction. And Tony, when I got the game, it's in a really small box. It's a square. I measured it. It's eight and a half by eight and a half square. <laughs> so it's not a very big box. Maybe like an inch thick. You don't mean need that table space like you do in Fire in the Lake or no, no. Libre. In fact, you played the game, right? Mm-hmm. It's a small game board. Yep. And the game board is broken up into a, uh, it's, a it's basically a map broken up into cities and zones uh, but all of it's considered territories. And so you have these territories on the board. It's an asymmetric game, like typical coin games, where you got four different factions. And they actually went through a little bit of the history. Of course, I had to do my history lesson every time I teach Cuba Libra. And the reason, the reason, don't, don't, me, because this, this worked out perfectly because on Saturday, 
Well, you and I gamed on Sunday, but on Saturday, I did another teaching session of Cuba Libra. And uh, it was with two new players, and I did my little history spiel. And they appreciated it because it says, okay, now I understand how these factions work and why they do what they do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I didn't know much about Robotech, but I read a little bit of the lore in order to explain what's going on. But you, sir, you had already done a little bit of that yourself and did a little bit of research. No, all I did was listen to the video you posted and he talked to me on my, as I was driving over to your house. So, yeah. Oh, Okay. About how it was 2013, and it was a couple years after uh, the aliens had invaded Earth? Yes. So I had an audio book in the, in the car. Before he did the teach of the game, he did a, he uh-huh. did, he did a you. I got, I got that. I'm like, get to the game, but I'm driving, so I can't, I can't fast forward on the YouTube video. Yeah, so it was the, uh, what was the name of it? Is the Zendrati. Zendrati. Zendrati uh, was an uh, alien force that came over here. There was a big fight. And some of the Zendrati were left here on the planet. And basically, the the factions of the Robotech Defense Force is basically trying to prep for another an invasion, right? There could be another invasion coming in time. So the Robotech Defense Force has said, all right, we got to make sure that uh, we're prepped for that. Are you sure? Fact- Are you sure that they're the ones prepping? I thought it was you, well, the Robotech Expeditionary Force is what I thought he kept saying in the thing. So you kept confusing me with that, but I, I, I trust what you're reading there. So all I know is, you know, you've got, yeah, those two, those two factions. The REF and the RDF. Mm-hmm. Basically, they still want to make sure that everything's okay and protecting against. Uh, particular invasion. Now there are Zendrati civilians here on the planet and the RDF, the defense force, they were trying to keep peace between the two of them. So you're right. It was the REF that was trying to unite the earth's population behind the RDF, but basically it was kind of a military rule. And here's the thing is some people weren't happy about that. The anti-unification league splitters, like splitters. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> they were like, you know what? I, I don't know about this, guys. Um, I don't like the military kind of running area. It's martial law around here, and we're not really, really not keen into that. But guess what? There's also some of the Zendrati that was left over on the on the planet who are kind of like secretly starting to build a rebellion mm-hmm. against the Robotech Force. So there are your four factions that you're playing in this game, all totally asymmetric all totally have separate goals for the game. And in that aspect, it really is a lot like, say, I'm just going to reference Cuba Libre because that's the one you're familiar with. I'm actually more familiar with uh, Robotech now because I played it and I haven't played Cuba Libre in months. <laughs> but that's but that's okay. So, so the one thing I want to say from a positive spin of this is I really like the tension that he built in this game between the allies of the factions, like between the... Um, RDF and the REF. We have two separate winning conditions and I need to be on the brink of you winning in order for me to win. Yes. I love that. Wasn't your income based on how well I was doing? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. How many territories I control, it was the income that you would get. But if I got too many territories to control, then I would win the game. Right. Absolutely. And you had to keep me, you had to keep your territories in check because of the other group, the Zendrati rebellion needed to sway the civilians over to their side. You need to make sure that he didn't let me 
bring enough civilians over to my side. So you had to balance that. And the only way he could do that is if he was able to get into those various areas. It was very tight. So you had to work together. You actually had, everybody had to work kind of together, but keep everybody in check. Check and balances, baby. Yeah. Check and balances. Yeah. In fact, that actually happened to where, uh, who was it? The AUL mm-hmm. was very close to winning. And we all three kind of had to work together to pull them back down. Yeah, that was Mark. His goal was also, his goal was to control a certain number of cities. Mm-hmm. He was trying to build out cities. And he actually had these city tokens he could drop on the board to convert territories into cities. I was just trying to control territories. You were trying to influence the population to make them support you. And the Zendrati Rebellion was trying to get them to support them. Two were about control. Two were about trying to influence the population. Well, another big positive about this game, and it's like with any of these coin games, how is the card play going to come out? Now, this is where it is different. Now, you may not remember because you haven't played Cuba Libra in a while. For those who've played a coin game such as Cuba Libra, you have a deck of event cards. You flip over a card at the top are four faction symbols. Typically, only two of those factions are going to get to go that turn. And the order of them will change constantly based, based on the type of event. But the person who gets to go first usually has a chance to have a more powerful move. They maybe have the option of taking the event that's actually on the card or taking like a big double action type thing. And if you go after that, your move might not be as good or it could be the opposite. If the guy did the mm-hmm. event, then you could do a do big double action. Or if they did the double action, you could do the event. That's how typical coin event decks work. I like this one, Tony, because it uses an event deck, but it's not a random draw off the top. Mm-hmm. Each of us are dealt four event cards that we choose to play on our turn. And these event cards, it's important to know, because they determine what happens next. If I play a card that is for my faction, I get to do the white border and a normal action. Now, on our player boards, there are normal actions. There's a white border on the card, event card that you played. So you play a card with your faction, you do the text in the white box. Right. And then on my player board, I have normal actions and special actions. So it basically boils down to you get to do two actions on your turn. If you're playing a card to your faction, then you get to do the action on the card as well as a normal action. But if it is not for your faction, then whoever's faction it is, they get to do the action on the card and an additional action on their board. The bottom of the event card has a black box. They get to do the special activity in that black box if they want. The black box, which is an action that's on their board. Sorry, that's what I was trying to say. That action is on their board. Okay. It's a normal action on their board that they get to do. Here's, I didn't see enough of the event cards to read all the bottom of them and know that's, that's what they all are. Well, I never had my cards. So I got to read them all. That's one of the things. I was like, man, where are all mine? So, but, so I, I, if I do this and I play Marty's faction, he gets to do something. But then now I get to do... I get to do the full event card. Right. Yep. But I get to do now two actions from my player board i can either do and this was so much fun when we explain rules you can either do a normal action and a special action you can do two normal actions you can do two special actions or you can do a special action and a normal action wow that was hilarious people were including me messed up and didn't hear marty correctly but we it was okay it didn't impact the game that was funny some of our game days 
We should tape those and just take out the snippets of where we screw up. <laughs> we should make little snippets. So the thing is, if you give another faction the chance to do the event card, your turn becomes way more powerful because the special actions on your board or for your faction are really, really good. So if you want to do those, that means you're allowing somebody else to go on your turn using the event card that you played. That is super clever. Yes. And the player boards, we talk about some of the cosmetics of the game, but the player boards are straightforward. Here's the action you're doing. Here's what it costs you to do. Here are the requirements. Here's what you get to do. You cannot screw this up if you tried. Yeah, it is very straightforward. The rule book for this is not very thick at all. Uh, it reads pretty well. A lot of the actions are, are the similar mm -hmm. between uh, moving, deploying people on the board, influencing the citizens that are on the board. All of us could do stuff like that. Attacking, remove, which is basically removing other factions from the board. And if your action, when you do an action, a normal action or a special action, if it has the repeat symbol, it's not like you're doing the action again. You can do it as many times as you want, as long as you can pay for it. You're still doing one action as many times as you want. If that symbol is not on the board, you can only do it one time. And I think there was a little confusion there, but we got it straight. So that was kind of mm -hmm. ingenious. And then another thing, when you play that card, it dictates what comes next, who comes next in turn order, which, and I noticed this about it, generally, whoever had the action, it was the balance of the next faction that got to play. It seemed like it was, oh, you know, okay. but it may not always be that way, but I was sitting there saying, oh, that's pretty clever. So if I, if I am playing this faction, then whoever is kind of the one that opposes them gets to go next. Mm -hmm. It was very interesting from that standpoint. Every card has a faction order off to the side. And basically, uh, if it's like the third card that's played, you just go down the list until you find the faction that hasn't already gone that turn. So what happens is, in the whole round of one game, everybody gets to play one event card, resolve it, and then take their turn. And the game is played only over four rounds. But Tony, what's interesting is between the rounds, you go through this resolution phase and it's actually at this point you check for victory conditions. Mm -hmm. It's a, totally analogous to the propaganda card in Cuba Libra because with the propaganda card, you check for victory conditions. Then you get to do things like make some money, redeploy some people. And that's exactly what happens here in the resolution phase of Robotech Reconstruction. Everybody has an income action on the board. They actually get to execute their income action, maybe shift some people around the board, uh, clean up a few things, and then move to the next round. Very fast, very quick. I was surprised at how quickly we were going through this. There was a, some AP because there was a lot of decisions to be made on how to maneuver some things. I did feel like there wasn't as much interaction as I thought there would be. Mm. Um, overall for the game. Well, and we didn't mention there is actually the very first thing you could do on your turn is trade an event card. Mm. We never did that because we weren't really sure what we should trade or not trade. But the idea is that, say, for example, let's just say Bert. Bert is just absolutely destroying us. It's the, it's the round that is possibly when uh, we can see who's going to win. He has this winning condition. I may say, Tony, it's your turn. I have an event card. If you play it, you can knock him out of his victory condition. 
and you go, cool, Marty, I got this one. I think that might be good. We trade and then we go on from there. So there's an option at the beginning of your turn to trade an event card with another player for stuff like that. And we talked about the balance. I would have to say there's no backstabbing to this because, you know, you and I talked about some strategies to keep people from winning the same thing, even though it did feel like it was you and me against uh, Mark and Bert, that there is some need to, for interaction between your non allies, your non, your, the opposing side, because you, you always got to keep Cause Maybe I need Mark to keep you from winning the game. So I may need to get him because he was playing the other side of it. And I'm like, okay, you need to do something over here on Marty. How can I help you out? Even though you hurt me a little bit. It, yeah. Very, very clever on how that was done. The bad thing about a coin game, even one like Cuba Libra, is you're going to spend a few hours playing that game, uh, getting it set up and sitting down and going through it. This game is played in two hours or less. Mm-hmm. I've been talking to some people that's played it a lot and said, if you, know, if you have a lot of people that know what they're doing, they could play it in 90 minutes. It's really interesting that as we played the game, we were able to remember what everybody did. We understood their winning conditions. We knew the actions they could take on their turn because everybody's actions, all the factions worked a little bit different. Like I had an airship that I dropped things out of and uh, the uh, Zendrata I almost said that. the ZR uh, <laughs> basically were able to take people out of the hideout on their player board and drop them anywhere on the board. So they all play a little different, but we all learned very quickly how they worked. It's harder to do that in a full coin game of fully understanding how all the factions actions work. Right. Biggest negative. Marty talked about the size of this. Okay. If they reprint this thing, I don't know if they will blow up the tokens. They were hard to see. It was my my tokens. I could. It was very tough. Okay, I'm old. Fine, I get it. My eyes aren't as good as they used to be. the The text on the cards was very well, but these tokens were t tiny. Oh my goodness. Yeah, and for the REF, the one that you were playing, you had two different types of units and a very small little hex token to represent those units. And if it was more than two feet away from any of us, we couldn't tell which one it was because it was the same kind of red background and they were both kind of robot looking figures. It was really tough. I wish the tokens were bigger. Yeah. And, and Bert, Bert had what? Overt and covert? And those were tough to tell. Which ones? Oh, yeah. One side was set overt. One said covert. And across the table, I honestly couldn't tell which was which. So we started actually putting, <laughs> we got out Cuba Libra and we got some wooden tokens and if his if his guys were um, overt or basically like um, exposed, we put tokens on top of them so we would know that they're that way because if they're overt, they can be attacked and removed. And I understand why they did it. I mean, it helps with the cost, but it also keeps it small package, easy yes. to transport. Compl- Only $45 on their website. It's a small box, small price game. But I would say if someone were to get it, Think about how you can augment this to help people see some of the stuff, especially if you've got a fairly large table. But final thoughts on me. Really enjoyed it. Glad we got to play it. Okay. So final thoughts for me. Mr. Coin. Let me hear Mr. Coin talk to me. Well, let, let me start. We actually asked, I said, guys, would you like minis with this? And actually, all of them said no. Mm-mm. Minis aren't really needed on this. Just bigger tokens or some other way to be able to better see and represent the different units on the board. Uh, which might be just uh, a bigger map and with bigger tokens. All right. So yeah, 
Currently, right now, I'm playing a remote game of Fire in the Lake. My first time playing the Vietnam War-themed coin game. Uh, I just taught Cuba Libra again. I've played that game nine or ten times. Uh, people will ask, hey, what is the coin game that you think I should get in order to learn how to play a coin game? And the typical favorite common answer is Cuba Libra because the size of the map is not very big. Uh, there's not many pieces you have to worry about on the board, and you kind of go from there. Here we go. If somebody was to say, Marty, I have never played a coin game before, what would you recommend? I say, go out, spend $45 on Robotech Reconstruction, learn this game, get three other friends, play this in just two hours, and if you like that game, if you like the event-driven mechanisms, if you like the asymmetric gameplay, the different ways to win the game, then I think that is a good representation of what the full Volca Runka coin game is from GMT. To me, this is now my recommended entry level into the coin game system. A lot of people I've heard say, you know what's a good one? Root is inspired by coin. Go try Root. I disagree with that. Root is a great game. But to me, Root is not a coin-style game because the event deck, that the card-driven events and the variability of player order is big for coin, and Robotech Reconstruction is analogous to that. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed this game. I know nothing about Robotech. It, it didn't matter. I was kind of trying to get into it, Tony. I was actually going to go rock some Robotech. Then I saw, oh, there's like two seasons since 84 episodes. There's no way I could burn through 84 episodes. I was hoping there was a movie or something just so I could familiarize myself with some of the characters that are on the board and, and, and locations on the board. But that didn't happen. I love the event deck in this game. I honestly wish now on a full coin game, if somebody would borrow the idea of you have a hand of events and you pick what to play as opposed to one randomly showing up on the top of a deck because it totally changes how you play the game. And I love the idea that allowing somebody else to do something, sure, it helps them, but it gives you a uber powerful turn on your turn. I love it. It's good. It's good, y'all. Robotech Reconstruction. So be sure to head over to strangemachinegames.com They've got a lot of stuff you can get in. If you love this, then you can go play the RPG. They've got a regular board game. There's some accessories out there. So, you know, I, I appreciate Marty teaching this. I really enjoyed it. And now he can go over and maybe, he, I mean, he's playing all these remote games. I'm still waiting on Colonial Twilight to get set up. Tell me when, baby. <laughs> we just talked about Robotech. De, uh, re, I said deconstruction. Oh, my heavens. Reconstruction as our last game. And you know what? That was a small, small box game. It would have been dwarfed on my game topper. My game topper would have made that thing look like, where is it? Marty would have been, I can't find it. I don't know where it's at. Because the game topper, you know, it keeps those big games, one that we're getting ready to talk about, in check. Keeps the dice in bounds. Keeps you from throwing stuff off the table, falling onto the floor. Had that ho happen over the holidays where, you know, I'm going through and suddenly I'm running the vacuum and all of a sudden, you know, that sound of the vacuum as it picks up a little cube and sucks it up in there. And you're like, oh, no, am I going to have to buy a new vacuum? And you pull it out and you go, oh, no, which game does this belong to? This blue cube. Which one did we play? Oh, that's right. 
it, it's a, a guild merchant game that that Donna loves so much. Be sure to go check out Game Poppers <laughs> LC. Jeez, Louise, I thought, is this ever going to end? Because <laughs> Berkey is doing good. By the way, I'm almost out of some Berkey Happy Mouth spices, but that has nothing to do with Game Toppers LLC. Go check it out at Game Toppers LLC. Well, tell me, what did we put on my Game Topper uh, mat the other day? Marvel, Age of the Heroes. That's a throwback, people, to one of our first episodes on RGTN when we were talking about Lords of Waterdeep, throughout the whole review, I kept saying Lords of the Waterdeep. And I did not realize I was wrong. So it became a running gag here on RDTN that has long since passed after 10 years. Why does it matter? Why am I calling it Marvel Age of the Heroes? Because Rodney Thompson, designer of this, also did Lords of the Waterdeep. Okay, it's Lords of Waterdeep. I know this, all right? Leave me alone. An Age of Heroes. An Age of Heroes. Marvel Age of Heroes. Let me go over the high-level overview of this game. You are a team of X-Men heroes. I didn't follow the X-Men very much, Marty. This is a look of what? What is that? I don't even know what that is. You never watched the X-Men cartoon in the 90s? I'm out. How, how did you know? Oh, my gosh. I'm leaving the room. <laughs> well, while, while he's leaving the room, I'm going to go. Vanessa even said she watched that. She just heard. I did not watch she it. She recognized the theme song. I didn't watch it. They weren't my faves. I'm sorry. Right. Unbelievable. Oh, oh, leave me alone. All right. Look, <laughs> it's on Disney+. Plus. Hey, I have that one. Okay, so here's the thing. I'll, I'll tell you this right now. Squirrel. The Dark Phoenix story and the cartoon X-Men blows away both versions of, of, from the movie that was done. Okay. Blows it away. It's told so much better. All right. So I think I've watched a few of them because isn't Kelsey Grammer the one that does the voice of the beast? In the movie. In the, in the movie. Oh, uh, okay. So, see, Not I'm crossing streams here. I'm ghostbustering. We know what happens when you cross streams. All right, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, he didn't. He didn't watch it. I swear. I, well, I didn't watch. Maybe some. Well, I don't. I don't know how. You, I don't. It was so good. So this was during the time of the Batman animated series. I did watch that. Okay. So it's going to be around the same time frame. It was just like this is Marvel's answer to that, and it was. It was so. Mm. Okay. Anyway, okay. sorry. I watched Gargoyles. X-Men, I watched Gargoyles. X Men are the heroes that you're playing in Marvel Age of the Heroes. So you get an. You got an X Man player board. And on that player board, you're going to be tracking a couple of three resources. And you're out there, and you're going to use those resources. Like willpower, strength. Yeah. Yep. There's three of them. Yeah. Yep. Red, yellow, blue. <laughs> That's <laughs> Going back to Lords of Waterdeep, it's like, hand me uh, two purple, uh, three orange, and a black. <laughs> Even though they're like wizard, rogue, and, and warrior. And exactly. I mean, from that, when you think about it as gamers, these poor designers, they put a lot of effort into this. And what do we do as gamers? We go back to the colors. The colors. I know. I know. Now, uh, and unfortunately, we fell into that trap here too. We stopped seeing like willpower and stuff. It's like, oh, I get two blue. So that's just the way it is. But what is nice is I think the resource management is a lot easier to track because the boards uh, have these nice uh, tracks where you put the cube and you move it up and down the track mm-hmm. to track it. So it's not like you're dealing with handfuls of cubes like you did in Lords of Water. Yes, that is always nice. It helps minimize splatter on the table, things like that. Continuing the overview of this, 
your X-Men team is going out trying to defeat some minor villains, a bigger villain, and then a final challenge. And there are three scenarios in the board that you set up at the beginning. You pick one, you go with it. And there's some variability in that, right? Because you set up the game. Mm-hmm. It's different. Uh, even though it's a certain scenario, each time you could play a different boss and a different minor minions because we randomly drew those, we ra- correct? Yeah, we randomly yeah. draw those. And they are paired up with a card that will tell you, you know, how many resources you need to defeat that boss. And when that comes in, it tells you which ones they are and, and that can adjust. So that, that changes things. So there's your replayability from that standpoint. Yeah, that I was sitting there saying, how can we explain that in a podcast? And I don't know really know how to explain it. It's just that there are lines associated, mm-hmm. uh, like horizontal lines associated with the uh, villains. Right. And you pair it up with this piece of jigsaw piece cardboard. And then each one will have like, okay, this one takes has four lines connected to the villain. And it tells you the resource cost for each one of those amounts of damage that you need to be done. And once you do those five lines of damage, that villain is defeated. And when you go to the stronger villains, it just requires more to be filled over the course of the game. I mean, there's eight slots on the, on the mission boards. Yeah. And the mission boards are different for the three different missions. So Got all it. that yep. that's into play as well. It's just to say, there's a lot of variability there. You're given your your heroes at the beginning, depending on the number of players. And basically, the heroes are just your workers. And on your turn, you're going to place your worker, get some stuff, or do something that lets you copy an action. Or maybe you're going to place your worker to get on the jet, on the X-Jet. X-Jet. Yep. It's going, I mean, way to go, Dr. Xavier, on the naming. It's the X-Jet. And it's like the the bat copter the batmobile i mean you know he wasn't much better right. so and also you have the opportunity not only do you place your heroes you may also have some students from the academy that you take along and put in harm's way that you can place on the board <laughs> okay students are just additional workers yes, yes. Additional work. i'm trying to give us some theme leave me alone here <laughs> that you used to get in the way hopefully well number one you typically can't send students out on missions to to fight the villains, usually they stay back at the academy. Right. They're, they're, yeah, they're, they're, they're gathering up. Or the institute, res- whatever it's yeah, called. They're, yeah. they're working to get the resources. But yeah, sometimes you can't make them fodder on the jet. You can do that. Sure, that's fair. You can do that. Yeah. And then after everybody has placed their workers, then they will go out and we will go on missions, which allows us to either um, go battle one, one-on-one against the villain, or you may have a special team place that helps you change the resources you need to do damage to the villains. And if that gets taken, let's say I wanted to go do the gray damage to the villain because there's various colors. Yeah. That's, that's hard to explain to each villain requires certain colors of damage. You got to make sure that the color of damage you do matches the color that's available, still available on the villain. And by doing that, it tells you how many, Victory points you get. That's your main way to get victory points, actually. And, and let's say somebody goes on the jet and they take the one that you can do. You're not out mm. of luck. You can this. This I appreciate, Marty. You then yeah. were able to take your hero and say, "Oh, I can't go on the mission. Then I can go over here to the extraction zone. I'm done. I, I can't go fight him. And I get to do something. I can maybe convert some resources to a different resource, or get some maybe students for later for next turn." And then after the missions are done, pick up all your workers, yep. move the round marker, rinse repeat, and, and, and move the round marker and continue. 
So what changes over the course of the game? You remember Tony and Lords of Waterdeep, how you could buy building cards, put the cards onto the board as additional places that you could, other people could put their workers. And if you own the building, you get a bonus when they go there. That concept is still in here with the use of ally cards. So there's the Institute deck and we have a hand of cards. One of the actions that when you place a worker, it may say, play an ally card. So there's ally card spots on the board. You can play an ally card uh, there. You put one of your color tokens on that card to show who owns it. Those cards can do a lot of different things. There was one, it's like, there's a worker spot. Hey, you get two students or, hey, you get a, a four resources of your choice. Or, hey, if you put your worker here, you can duplicate another action somewhere else. But if somebody goes to that spot and you own it, you get a little bonus. Maybe it's a student, maybe it's an extra resource or something. The building concept from Lords of Waterdeep also exists in this game, Age of Heroes. And the same thing applied for the X-Jet. If you use somebody's team card or X-Jet card. T it's, yeah, it was called a team-up card. Team -up there was card. another uh, action that you could take to play a team-up card, which is a different type of card, into the mission area of the board. Right. And it, that's what helped you maybe use different resources to go achieve a certain color on the villain. And that if, if I placed that out there and you went and used that card, then I got three additional victory points. I got three, three victory points out of you doing that. So there is some strategy in which cards you want to get those cards out. You want to be able to have valuable cards that the group can use. We did find out that later in the game, some of the cards became useless, especially ones that said, hey, play an ally card when all the ally slots were spent. That was useless. Or, or team up. We yeah. actually ended up at the end of the game. Every team up slot was full. Every ally slot was full. And one of the actions you can do with your workers is draw more cards. Well, at that point, the ally card's useless. The team up card's useless. The only thing that has any value is the event card. Mm -hmm. And the event card is basically... Uh, it's a one-time use. You get some sort of benefit and then you discard it. A lot of times the cards in your hands just didn't do you any good. I know you were going to look into, and I don't know if you had the opportunity, is was there a way to kill any of those cards off? And I, we looked, and I didn't see any in the rule book. That's one thing that really bothered us, y'all, is because literally at the end of the game, we were ha having handfuls of cards that we just couldn't do much with. And so I thought, am I missing something? Now, the rule book's not on BGG yet. This game is, is from WizKids is is not out. Uh, we got one of the early copies and we were just pouring through the rules to make sure that we didn't miss anything. Uh, and, and somebody said, I think it was Bert said, don't you remember in Lords of Waterdeep, you could build buildings off the side of the board? And I said, oh, that's right. You could. Even if all the building slots were full, you had the option of just continue putting buildings. Unfortunately, that wasn't given as an option here. And probably one of the reasons why is each one of those ally spots were in a location within the Institute. They were within a room. And sometimes the card would say, mm -hmm. hey, if one of your characters is already in this room, when you place a character here, you get a bonus. Well, that would make that type of ally card null and void if it's played off the board somewhere. Some of the team-up cards we had out there were, other than the resources needed, were duplicates. And so that kind of hampered our ability to progress through the villains. Right. Now, we did find out that team-up cards were way less expensive to do damage uh, because when you got off the X-Jet, you could go straight to a location on the villain to deal damage, but usually the amount of resources you had to spend was way higher than what it was on a team-up card. And towards the end of the game, 
We were never going to the actual villain spot. We're just using the team-up cards on the board. Mm -hmm. After all is said and done, rinse, repeat, to end the game, it's um, after the final villain is defeated, whatever that circumstances is, whatever the parameter card, which dictates certain rules to the game as you're playing, that's the end of the game. And at that point, highest victory points is the winner. It is a straight-up worker placement style game in the X-Men universe. One thing I, d- I do like is that uh, you do have enhancement cards that everybody's given mm. specifically for their hero. One of the actions you can do is play an enhancement card. Basically, that's like powering up your heroes. They do Whatever they do is a little bit better. For example, I had Jean Grey. I put an enhancement into play that says, hey, if you go to a location and that's the first time Jean Grey goes there, you get two victory points. So I was constantly trying to put Jean Grey in different locations to make sure that I got two victory points. And Tony, do you remember some of your enhancements that you got when you put them into play? If Gambit plays an event card, then you get four victory points at that time. Mm. The rogue was, if you were to collect tokens off the board, because one of her things was putting tokens on the board, you get an additional resource. Whenever you take a token, you get a resource. Some of the cards said, hey, go and spread the wealth of victory point tokens. And that was part of the whole concept there. I don't remember the other ones that we played the recommended ones. It'd be interesting to see how they can be mixed and mashed together. Mm -hmm. And you're limited by, depending on which force you get, like Jubilee Wolverine, there's only four that you can enhance. Where on my board, Gambit and Rogue, I had five spots that could do enhancements. So I'm sure there was a lot of balancing between the various teams that they put together. Um, I will say production-wise, WizKids just knocks it out of the park now, don't they? It's mm-hmm. like everything they put out is just top-notch. I don't know what these punch boards were made of, but as I was punching out the tokens, I felt like there was some sort of almost a plastic-type feel to these punch boards. They didn't feel like normal cardboard. They're thick. They feel great. But the best part, Tony, by far is your heroes are represented by acrylic standees. Yay! I love acrylic standees. Mm -hmm. They have that nice art on the see-through acrylic. The acrylic is cut out to the shape of the hero. They've got a nice plastic base for them to go to, so they look great on the board. Acrylic standees are my go-to thing. I like them more than miniatures Mm -hmm. right now because they're they're colorful, they're easy to pick up, they're easy to move, and they don't take up a lot of space. I'm 100% with you on that. I would... I would trade in some some on some of the games where I have miniatures. I would trade them in for the acrylics. Just, but yep. but that's just you and I've talked about this on the show before. So back to our our play of it. The game did stay on the table a little long for me. Uh, be honest, but everybody knows me who talks on this uh, podcast knows that games that run long, I get kind of antsy. I start walking around. There was a little bit of downtime on this game. Yep. Um, as people yep. were trying to figure out where they wanted to play because. I need to do this because you had to think ahead to go to the missions to score your victory points. You had to make sure that you had those resources handy. And I think on our first play, it was one of the things where we had to check and balance that. Like, how do I get these resources to go do that? And I needed to make sure that I'm doing the right choice. But then I wanted to do a combo with some of my powers. I needed to make sure Mm -hmm. that happens. There's a way to adjust who goes first, things like that. We did have a couple cards that were on the board that became must-to-go-to cards. I see. That that was one thing that got me, Tony, Mm -hmm. is that uh, I wish there was a way to unlock additional workers. Lords of Waterdeep had that built in. Uh, You played a certain number of rounds in Lords of Waterdeep. Once you got to a certain round, everybody got additional worker. 
The only way to get really additional workers in this game is to get students. There was only one card uh, that ended up on the board that really gave you uh, additional students. And uh, people were purposely going to the location where you could set turn order, going first so they could go grab those students to have additional workers each turn. And I could never get there. So I was hampered by the number of actions I could take per turn. Mm -hmm. So I felt getting students was tough with how the game played out for us. Yes, it, it was. And I had a special card that allowed me, an event card that allowed me, whoever placed that card gave me the ability to put my marker on top of it. So when they went there, you gained a student. So once again, that's a placement issue of the allies. Maybe in future plays, you would take this very special card, this ally, the card to get students, and move it somewhere else so that, you know, maybe it helps you gain resources instead of letting us gain uh, an additional student. There, there's a lot of decisions that you need to make with the placing of the allies. I think that was something that not knowing all the cards and what was going to come out, we kind of missed. Yeah. Overall, I enjoyed the game, but as far as a worker placement game goes, this would not be one that I would pull out immediately. Okay. Is it because of the length or? It was the length. It, it got long. Yeah. It says 60 to 90 minutes on the box. I just don't see how you can play mm. this game in 60 minutes. We were, yeah. And so we've only played one of the scenarios, but you had to work through two villains to even get to the boss to finish the game. And we were playing four players. So we were playing, uh, so I think we max players. You can play up to five. Actually, we played, we played, we had to get through three boss, three villains. You had to get through the two minions and the one baddie, bigger yeah. baddie to get to the final big baddie. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So we had to do a lot of damage early on and early on, it's hard to do damage because you got, you haven't got an engine built yet for getting a lot of the resources needed to spend to make the damage. Now, by the end of the game, we were racking in cubes as fast as we can, and we were all trying to jump on the X-Jet as fast mm -hmm. as possible to try to deal as much damage because, again, that's the main way that you're going to get victory points is to deal damage to the villains. Right. So there are some combos we might have been missing, some opportunities that we might have been missing. I wish there was a built-in clock. I don't know how you would do it, but I wish that at some point in time, it's like, you guys just really stink at what you're doing. Just stop. Mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> the villain one, who, who has the most victory points and that's it sort of deal. That's one thing. This game, you know, you've got multiple, multiple teams that you can try and figure out how to do it. But in future actions or in future games, you're still going to be doing the same basic thing. Beating villains by collecting resources on the board. If you don't have and I don't have it in my collection, Lords of Waterdeep, and I will definitely claim, think that this is a lighter worker play, real light worker placement game. I think when it comes to weight, it's the same weight of Lords of Waterdeep. Okay. Personally. So it's the theme. It, it's two totally different things. Now I just went and looked. Lords of Waterdeep says 60 to 120 minutes. I think that's a very, I think that's a more fair assessment to me of Age of Heroes. I think it's 60 to 120 minutes based on the player count. Mm -hmm. Because I remember Lords of Waterdeep could take a while too. And I just see this about the same weight and the same length as Lords of Waterdeep, except Lords of Waterdeep is fixed number of rounds. Age of Heroes is variable depending on how well you do against the villains. Yes. And as far as I'm concerned, the very aesthetics that they've put in there, like you were talking about the resource, not having to collect a whole bunch of cubes on there. That's very nice. I like how there's no concept of gold. There used to, there was gold and Lords of Waterdeep that had to spend in order to get things. There's none of that here. Literally the only resources are those three that we talked about. Mm. 
and I haven't played Lords of Waterdeep in forever. We, we, we were talking about it earlier before we were recording. I haven't been, I haven't played that game in nine years. So mm-hmm. I had really no basis because when you mentioned that, you know, placing the disc, oh yeah, it's just like War- Lords of Waterdeep. And I went, oh yeah, I kind of remember that and how the little town marker had a little cutout to where your little cube can slide in or your little circle or something. I, yeah. I get a chance to play it, if, especially if you like these type of games where it is a place a worker, do something. To be honest with you, it reminds me of Pillars of the Earth from that standpoint. And if you like the uh, X-Men theme, uh, people will probably think, is this a co-op? It is not co-op at all. Mm-hmm. There is no co-opiness whatsoever. I mean, you are not working with the other X-Men, except that, I guess, together you're kind of defeating the villains together. But once you assign a damage to a certain spot on a villain, nobody else can do that. And once all those spots are filled, that's how the villain is killed. So just through the gameplay, I guess you're theoretically working to kill the villain together, but you're not planning it together to do it. In fact, sometimes it's a race because like, I want that particular damage spot. I'm going to go to the X chat before you do and get it. <laughs> that sort of deal was going on. So that is Marvel Age of Heroes by Rodney Thompson from WizKids. Give it a shot. Big update from Miniature Market, just to let you know, they have said that their normal shipping times are back. They have processed all their back orders from the big holiday rush. They have moved into their humongous new warehouse, which they actually have pictured on their site. So now is the, a great time to head out to miniaturemarket.com. Go check out all the games that maybe you had missed for Christmas. They're always running these sales and now know that their norming shipping times are back. And it's true. I ordered something and we got it in a decent amount of time. So find out more and to get stuff quickly again, head over to miniaturemarket.com. I had somebody reach out to me and said, hey, would you like to? Would you like a key to a new Switch game that came out? It's a turn-based RPG. I typically like turn-based RPGs, and I said sure. Especially when I found out the game Chained Echoes has a ninety on Metacritic. I thought, oh, you better get on that. Yeah, that's a pretty good game. So I got it. This is from a German developer, and it's inspired by '90s turn-based RPGs like Chrono Trigger, Secrets of Mana, Xenogears. So if you like those sort of games where you build a team and you go out and it's a fantasy themed game uh, where you're trying to uh, basically fight against villains. You may get multiple villains and people have different initiatives and when they take their turn and it feels very familiar if you're familiar with turn-based RPGs. But what I was looking for was something that was unique and there's something really cool about the combat in this game. When you deal damage, you have a meter at the top and uh, you, when you do a certain amount of damage, you enter in the overdrive portion of the meter. Your goal is during the entire combat is to try to stay in that overdrive portion. If you end up using the same moves over and over and it pushes you beyond overdrive, you go into overheat. Ooh. When you're in the overheat mode, you take on way more damage. When they hit you, it hurts more. So what you have to do is try to make sure that the moves you make either reduce the amount in that bar or don't make it go too high. And when they deal damage to you, it actually pushes that bar up. 
So I love that of trying to stay right within the sweet spot of this meter, the overdrive zone, in order to do additional combat and stay out of the, the overheat zone. And you also have these things called ultra moves. When that bar is full, you can assign one of your guys to do this ultra move. It's a cool animation that happens. They like stab a sword in and do massive damage, but then it has to rebuild up over time. That's the unique thing about this game. I think the story's pretty good. It's your typical, I don't know how many turn-based RPGs, Tony, you've played over the years. I enjoy turn-based RPGs. Skies of Arcadia, my favorite all-time game that I played back then, back in the day. So this has me very interested. How does it differ? And this is, this is your education coming back to me is Fire Emblem, where you're moving people on the grid. So this is not a tactics RPG. It's a straight turn-based RPG. Okay, so there's the difference. Tactics versus straight. Okay, because your team gets to go and then the boss gets, or the, whoever you're battling gets to go. Who has initiative? Yeah, so uh, the initiative system is this. It rotates between characters. In fact, at the top, it tells you who's going to get to operate next. But there's no grid on this. Uh, Pokemon. It's literally just standing mm -hmm. there and you're battling back and forth, except you have a, a, all, a whole team out there and you may be going against the team. So it is different than firing them in that aspect. And I like the turn-based um, RPGs from the standpoint that certain characters can enhance ones that come later. So depending on that initiative order, we'll determine, oh, I need to do like this action, which will boost their attack later. They actually have that. I have like a bard type guy that can buff everybody's attack for the next three rounds where they do additional damage. And then there's also this concept, you can pair up two characters together so that when it gets to their turn, you can swap them out mm -hmm. and bring in the other character and use them. So in theory, your party could be made up of eight people, but you only have four on the screen at once. In addition, you also, typical things, you get some more equipment, you get uh, you get money to spend to upgrade your stuff, you can spend skill points to open up uh, special skills, so you pick which trees you want to go down, etc. So the character development, character building is all there. Uh, the story is... <laughs> To me, it's one of those typical stories. There's like three different factions. We're at peace. Now we're at war. Who's the bad guy? Oh my gosh, I didn't see that coming. Oh, he stabbed that person in the back. Wow, it's a <laughs> it, political intrigue. So the story's good, it, it's, but it's a very typical of that genre of fantasy game. The politics and everything that's going on. Well, I got so many games I need to play. I'll, I'll add it to the wish list and see if it ever goes on sale. That's where I am with the games now. They need to drop on price right now. This was thirty dollars. Yeah, so I'll wait and see. It just came out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's one that you put on the wish list and and say, okay, oh wait, I, I just found, that looks interesting. It looks like a sixteen bit style game, so it's that style of mm -hmm. graphics, so almost like Super NES style game. And again, when I saw ninety on Metacritic, I thought, all right, so this is a pretty well liked game, and I totally see why. So that's Chained Echoes. I'm currently playing it uh, on the Switch. I'm not sure if it's available in another system, but it's a Switch that I got the key for. Well, we did just see news about Advance Wars 1 and 2. Thank you. Supposedly, it's not confirmed, but uh, retailers have been told to prep for a pre-order of Advance Wars 1 and 2. Day one purchase for me. Whatever I'm playing right now goes on pause, and I play that. Uh, see, for me, it's going to be a price point thing. Oh my gosh. He hasn't watched X-Men. 
He 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 loved Advance Wars. I thought one. Now it's a price thing. Number one, I've played Advance Wars. Would you and- pry open that wallet? I'm sorry. I've I've I have. Thanks to you, I have pried open my wallet for this. You're in my wallet. I don't want to hear it. We're obviously in our video game segment now. I need to give a big <laughs> shout out to Colin over in our Discord channel. Yes. That's me clapping. That's you yes. clapping. For doing something I haven't done in Guild Wars in over 10 years, and that was taking us on dungeon runs. Wasn't that fun? We did two dungeons that night. We did two dungeons. And probably one of the best that I didn't know even existed. The balls. Oh, yeah. I forget what dungeon. Sorrows, the Sorrows Embrace Balls, the big robot. Mm-hmm. That was cool. And, and, and the best part was the ending. Oh, I don't want to spoil it. I know. Now. If you have Guild Wars 2 and you don't want to hear the spoiler, go away for about 30 seconds. You gone? All right. So this is really cool. So you're in this, like, I guess it's like a fiery pit. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's it's a metallic robot. He's he's dumping molten steel on you. That's his goal. When you kill him, as he sinks into the molten steel, he holds a thumb up, just like in Terminator 2, as he, as he uh, went into the molten, <laughs> molten lava. That was so funny. I was just dying laughing. Oh, they did such a good job over there. And thanks to you, yeah, I'm, y'all were mean to me. Well, this is what you need to specialize in. Oh, I can't believe you did that. <laughs> so I'm, I'm playing that character. I've never been so squishy in my life. I don't know what I'm doing, so I have to learn it, things like that. Mm. So that's what you made me go do. You made me like, oh my gosh, extra bank vaults are on sale. Oh, crap. Here I go dropping. I do not do in-game transactions, and I have done it twice for this game. A game that I played 10 years ago, I'm back into it full force, which is irritating the piss out of me right now because every every day I'm logging in to get my special little treasure. If you just let me know, we'll go do the expansion that you also pride your open and bought uh, while open and bought too. Well, right now I'm getting my glider, so I'm doing the heart of, th- heart gotcha. of thorns. Yep. Do you have raptor? I, well, I got the raptor. You know I got my raptor, So, um, okay. but that's, uh, what's the other one that came out? Path of Fire. Path of Fire. So Heart of Thorns, I'm doing to get the glider and just see what that yep. mission and how they changed it. That was, it's weird. I didn't like Heart of Thorns. I went far enough to get my glider and then I left. Okay. Yeah. Something about packs and caravans and. Yeah. I didn't like the mushrooms and the and the gas. It just drove me insane. Yeah. I'm collecting mushrooms. I got some extractor for bosses now. I'm like, okay, what is yep. all this junk? I don't need this crap. The next two are so much better than that one. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So maybe I'll, I'll get my glider. I know I can do the dragon wanting it immediately unlocks, but I don't get my mastery. So, and which is another thing, I'm these mastery points. I have no clue what they're about, but that's okay. I'm using them up. So, all right, fine, whatever. That's guild wars too. For those of you, it's free on steam. <laughs> that's true. That's true. The base game is free. And actually it's the expansions and the reg. I mean, it's cheap. It's dirt cheap. And we're playing a lot. I mean, literally anytime Tony says, I'm thinking about playing Guild Wars, three or four people say, just pick a night. And we have a full group. Mm-hmm. Come out and play on our Discord channel. And if you're not supporting the Discord channel, uh, come on out and uh, join us. So great, great people helping you out with board games. And very yeah, I, from the last episode, I said I was going to add to our Discord channel, a pets channel. <laughs> Done. In the adulting section. Yep. And I was hoping more people would post pictures of their pets, but... They need, to, they need to work on that. You haven't even posted a picture of Taz yet. What's wrong with you? I, I don't get into that. Stuff. I don't post pictures of my pets on social media. It's just, why? 
so people can see the cuteness. It would drive views. If Taz was to do a video game review, it would drive reviews. Well, yeah, if he could talk, that would drive a lot of views. If he could actually really talk. You talk for him. A talking dog. Oh, okay. That would be cute. So Sounds like too much work. Right. So Donna has tried the um, Mountain Dew. Pitch black. Mm-hmm. It does not replace Spark. She says it's got a black cherry taste to her. But she says it's good. Ah, yeah. It's good, but it's not great. Got it. But with that, I am going to say keep rolling dice and taking names. Hey, y'all. Thanks for listening. If you want to support the show, head over to buymeamoonpie.com. Please join our Discord channels. We're starting to give away a game each month. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Dyson Names. And also come hang out with us at Tantrum Con at the end of the month. All right. So, Marty, I don't know if you heard about this. You know, Napoleon was short. Yes. And, but he wasn't as short as this one king who was just 12 inches. He was a terrible king, though, but he was a great ruler. Thank you, Discord. <laughs> if you want to give us your dad joke, head over to Discord channel where Tony is actually going to be asking people for a, a dad joke. And if we pick yours, you'll hear it. <laughs> That's all I could promise.